Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, and welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast. This is your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's guest is Alex Kashuta, who is a professional Romanian woman. And she wrote a Twitter thread that challenged notions about modern feminism, and she opined that it had been in aggregate not the best thing for women insofar as it has denigrated or overlooked the aspect of woman that has to do with uh, childbirth and child rearing. One of the reasons why uh, perhaps I investigate gender so much is that I'm very interested in the ways in which our sex, you know, male and female, and our masculinity and our femininity that are appended to that status of being a male or a female actually plays out in societal interactions and actually how it informs the individual's experience in the world, culturally, internally, and within all those varying contexts from the historical to the minute. So I rack up these conversations with men and women about what it is to be a man and a woman. And Alex Kashuta is kind enough to allow me to investigate her experience in the world and her thoughts on her experience in the world. So without further ado, here is Alex Kashuta. He just, he just killed pussy, which is terrible, but you know, it had to be done. Yeah. Yeah. It'll come back around and haunt him. Oh no. Yeah. So no spoilers, please. Okay, no more. We won't talk anymore TV. What what are the guidelines for this discussion? Uh, I want to kind of go through your Twitter thread just as a launching off point because it's pretty incendiary stuff. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> trying to get me canceled. Yeah, for sure. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do uh, Eastern Europeans, do you guys have cancel culture out there too? I thought that was a Western thing. I, will, I, um, I work for a company in London in tech so there's definitely cancel culture there but they don't know about all my dealings i mean they might find out but they're pretty flexible and it's you know it's a pretty good gig they're nice people until i get canceled oh yeah how long have you been in uh the tech industry uh it's been probably four or five years now in london uh before i was in construction (laughs) i was in my family company here in romania yeah so just been all over the place i used to be a journalist for vice at one point in ancient history uh yes i've been i've been through different careers in my in my life you've been very busy i don't know not (laughs) in any particular day but overall (laughs) looking back yeah (laughs) um do you mind if i just read through this and uh just for the for the audience, uh, we don't have sure. to actually talk about this. We can just dive in. Uh, you just had some positions on, uh, I guess, what you call mainstream feminism, and you're kind of challenging that. You say that it's not in aggregate; it hasn't been a, a benefit to womankind uh, insofar as it's kind of denigrated motherhood and and children and care work and all that stuff. Do you, do you mind expanding on that, or what? prompted you to want to write that yeah i think just kind of personal experience and you know 
being in these like mega cities in these um, metropoli uh, and having friends, you know, being one of these women for a long time, kind of not really understanding my sense of, you know, anime and uh, atomization um, and just trying to make sense of it all and seeing people still be be stuck in in a, in a space where they don't really have any explanation for for this kind of this suffering, this 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 loneliness. Um, to me, it seems that you know there's something about it. Obviously, you know a, a Twitter thread is is a bit it's it's a bit more extreme. I think I think this is part of the explanation. Obviously, I'm not saying that. Oh my God, this is this is I I have come and I am the savior of womankind. Here is my recipe. Read my tweet. Implement. Good night. So yeah, I think I think there's something to it. And you know this like for example, I'm I'm Romanian. Um, almost all the people that I know from Romania that had any sort of intelligence, any sort of education, uh, went to the West. They departed from family, from friends, from any sort of ties to kin and kind and clan um, and or religion or anything that kind of, any roots, and went to the West and now they're, you know, working for Goldman Sachs or something. So it's, it's kind of, uh, and, and they essentially, they all have the same story. They, they all lack community. They're all kind of they all kind of have anxiety issues, um, and it's it's not necessarily restricted to to women, but women seem to be really really even more affected by this. Um, and I feel like feminism might not necessarily be causal for it, but it might provide a, a cover for it. It might kind of tell you you're supposed to be enjoying this. This is your life. You know, you've got infinite freedom. This is choose your own adventure. And you can go to 7,000 restaurants. You know, you're in London. Have fun, girl. But you maybe go out once a month. And the rest of the time, you're just in your little pod watching seasons of Netflix or cuties <laughs> or whatever, whatever the masters <laughs> and our overlords are feeding us this month. So mm. I don't know. It's... Um, and it's it's really sad, and it's it's it kind of it's jarring to me that I can't really be honest with my friends. So, because this is what I think on Twitter, and most of my close friends, my personal friends, the women that I know from London and my my life in the metropolis, uh, I can't really tell this you know this stuff to their faces because you know they are 37, 38, 40 years old. They all want a family. They're all you know they don't have relationships. They all are just like oh where have all the good men gone? And all by all I mean you know I don't have an infinity of friends, but I have a significant majority of women that are not paired up or married, really are suffering, and no one is there. And I think the only people who have like reasonably good explanations are in like the manosphere, which is terrible because no women will ever go there, you know. And I really think like red pill type knowledge is is essential for women to kind of understand certain aspects of of this, but there's no one there to actually communicate it to them. And could you could you formulate what you mean by red pill knowledge? Because I can see how from a feminist or a feminist leaning standpoint, that kind of looks like a bunch of toxic masculinity, a, a bunch of bravado and machoism and uh, putting a woman in a uh, subservient place. What, what's the benefit that you see in, quote unquote, red pill knowledge? Yeah, it's. It's kind of, you know, bringing in, you know, a little bit of evolutionary psychology, a little bit of, you know, the the knowledge that, you know, there is something called, a, it's called a sexual marketplace, but it's essentially, you know, women tend to, to value relationships more, men tend to sometimes value short-term relationships. There are different implications on, um, on the timeline, you know, 
essentially modern feminism doesn't really tell you that you know, there's a point of expiration, there's an expiration date on your, um, on your organs, <laughs> a very specific set of organs that, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of hidden knowledge and you're supposed to be, you know, maybe freezing your eggs or just, you know, waiting in the wings. One day you might decide that this is an option, but the thing is, it, it really is, um, it's, it's, a, it's an option that loses its value fairly quick. No one really talks about this. Um, also, you know, the, the idea that casual sex is something that's really empowering and <laughs> I mean, it's, it's probably fun for about a month and then you hmm. start having, you know, fairly serious anxiety from it. And I don't know, maybe it's just me pattern matching, but I've seen this in so many cases and I've seen a lot of, you know, women complaining about it and there's no, no explanation for it except for a pat on the back and come on, have fun, which is okay, nice, but it doesn't really tell the whole story. Um, and I feel like, you know, these forums, this toxic masculinity, um, it's part of the, the story because, you know, there's, there's these 4chan people, these Reddit guys who are just like trawling through the scientific literature and they pick up patterns. And, you know, it might just be, you know, weaponized autism, but there are significant things in, in the science that could be useful to women if they, you know, would have the ideological opening to to analyze them, to actually look at them, to integrate them. Um, yeah. So just thinking about childbearing, uh, you do that in your 20s, that's going to kind of interrupt your, I guess, professional trajectory. It's, it's a large sacrifice. I could see resistance to uh, doing that, to investing in that and uh, kind of giving up that freedom uh, in order to gain uh, th this burden. I can see how that could be very, uh, uh, very easy to, to see that as a kind of a cost-benefit analysis and delaying that. What, what was your perspective of childbirth when you were growing up and uh, how did that um, your attitudes for that change over time? Um, my perspective of, of childbirth was definitely very like liberal inspired. It was it was a burden. It was very much an option. I didn't think about it for the longest time because, you know, I didn't know anyone who had children. It it just wasn't on the menu of people in you know big corporations. You know, rising through the ranks, um, but also. At the same time, you know, life in, in, in these circumstances wasn't, you know, all sunshine and rainbows. And there, there was some certain um, kind of de detachment and just this longing for community. It's just mm. the community keeps coming up and coming up. And to me, it felt like, OK, I feel like I'm I'm an animal that is not in its natural environment. I feel like I'm, you know, living in a zoo and doing and jumping through hoops that are not made for me. Like I'm, I'm running an obstacle course that was designed for a goat, and I am a a deer or something like that. It's just it, there's there's a lot of un, unnatural. I mean, it's hmm. you know I, I maybe you know taking us taking this a step too far, but it, it it felt a bit constraining. And also you know working with men in in certain you know in, in companies, um, there's kind of this egalitarian assumption, which is you know, you kind of have to have this egalitarian assumption or else you couldn't work with, with guys, you know, on the same level. But we aren't equal. And there, there was always, you know, weird tensions in the office and, um, you know, uh, the girls in the office were always a bit more stressed. They were a bit more, you know, typically a bit more 
uh, affected by by negative stuff. They were a bit more sensitive to certain things. Obviously, this is just a generalization, but it's also you know it's these are patterns that I've observed. And um, you know, it's 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 a um, there are certain constraints that you know you kind of have to try to overcome or pretend to overcome to be working with guys. And also this, the whole dynamic, you know, like men don't relate to women like they relate to other men. You know, that's why the, the you know, the old boys clubs are a thing uh, because there's a, a different group dynamic. They, you know, they interact, they joke, they denigrate each other. You can't really do that with a woman because we take it personally. Typically, hmm. you know, we, women don't joke like that amongst ourselves. We just, you know, we take things a bit more seriously so it there there is a certain there's a certain complication when you work with with men and also you know there's just all sorts of dynamics you know when you have a woman boss there's a different dynamic you know it's it's mm. it, there's a lot of complexity in it that people don't talk about because we are you know units we are automatons we are the people who go to work and we are all equal okay it's not true <laughs> that's all yeah. And uh, do you see that that conversation isn't just not spoken of, but kind of covered up in a way? It seems like, for instance, the James Damore Google memo where he just presented the research on, you know, just uh, general behavioral Recognized differences. Autism. I love yeah, James Damore. <laughs> <laughs> You're just yeah. like, hey, I found this thing in my research. Have a look at it. Oh my gosh, the world collapsed. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that people overreacted to that or reacted so strongly to that? Because it seems like it's it's pointing to what you're pointing at, which is that this is something that you're not supposed to talk about, that men and women are different. They should be equal in, in all ways. Uh, yeah. It's, um, it's, I think, this egalitarian assumption that, you know, to, to work together okay and to, to, to have... Um, a functional dynamic in the workplace. You need to you need to pretend like we're we're homogenous. Uh, I think it's it's a it does a great disservice to both sexes um, because you know women would need you know different types of accommodations if they were different or at least you know for example with motherhood you know I think there's there's very little regard for motherhood except for maybe you know subsidized daycare or something like that where you can just you know send your children off to somewhere else and you can come back and be an automaton with the rest of us hmm. equal units um, and I think that's 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 quite unnatural and it's it's just a, a denial of you know reality and also uh, in terms of outcomes you know that people generally tend to look at the outcomes you know like fortune 500 ceos which i find quite quite a ridiculous thing to look at and uh, not enough women in there but people also don't think about the life of a fortune 500 ceo that's that's a sacrifice he's essentially offered his life as tribute to, to yeah. this corporation it's extremely hard work it's extremely you need a certain dedication a certain obsessive you know kind of uh, thing oriented temperament to be pursuing this type of goal and also you need to kind of have the motivation that arises from generally competing with other men for mating opportunities, which is another thing that women tend to not need to do because, you know, more status for a woman doesn't really equate in more opportunities to have a family or more opportunities to mate or, you know, the, the biological imperative isn't there. So a lot of women won't really want, typically don't want to be a Fortune 500 CEO because it's a, it's a hellish life for no return. Hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I would like to step back just a little bit because you brought up earlier that a lot of your friends, you're Romanian, they're Romanian, and they the a certain level of intelligence or drive, let's say, ambition, uh, kind of caused people to go to the West, as you call it. What's kind of like the the history or the climate or the culture of Romania? Uh, I guess beginning with World War II, how is it different from the West? Is it uh, more agricultural? Uh, a little bit the economy is a little bit more depressed. What what makes it more? Uh, uh, what makes people like migrate from it to these other places? Yeah, I think Romania is a and the whole of Eastern Europe is, is quite an interesting case because it's it's just so adjacent to the West. It's it gets a lot of you know a lot of cultural inputs from the West, but we had communism until I was one year old when communism ended, and you know the the borders were closed, the guns were pointing inward, people couldn't leave. It was quite a a stale culture. We had about 50 years of historical stagnation, where in the sense that we built a car in the 50s and it was the same car that was built in 1988. They didn't change anything because that's what communism does. It doesn't really innovate much. So. It was, you know, stagnating uh, economically, stagnating culturally, uh, and then we were all looking towards the West because sometimes goods would seep in, like from, you know, East Germany or something. You'd get like chocolate or, you know, special specialty goods, and you would just dream about this amazing place where they have, you know, different types of, I don't know, cake or <laughs> just it's usually food when you're in a communist <laughs> country. Like, just imagine all the food these people have. And I remember when I was, I think, six years old, we were, we went to to the West for the first time, and we stopped at a gas station. And I didn't, I've never been to a store where you didn't have a counter and you would request the products. So there were there was all this candy in the gas station. I just started eating it all. I just opened up all the candy, and until they noticed me, and they were like, "Oh, oh no. no, 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 this is not what you do." <laughs> so it's it's just. It breaks your mind a little bit to, to to see the difference. So it's it's a very aspirational place for someone coming from Eastern Europe. Yes. Um, and this is essentially what what our schools were. They were kind of you know little hatch hatchling places for workers in in the West. Where because I, I went to Vienna for school and then I went to Barcelona to do my masters, and then I went to London because that's where the tech happens to work in tech. So it's just, you know, it, there wasn't even a consideration that I might come back or do anything here because, you know, uh, Romania, this is, you know, just where we're from. We're going to end up somewhere good, somewhere nice in the West where they have okay. candy. <laughs> yeah. So, so if we extrapolate that, your your story to an entire generation, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, migration of the brain trust of Romania uh, out out of it. Uh, a lot of people leaving it, the, the smarter people kind of going away. Do they come back? Is it kind of just depleted then? Does it not have, uh, is it, you know, slowly like kind of gaining its footing after communism now? And Mm, not not really. We're, we're in a phase that's called transition, and we've been in this phase for the last, oh. what, over 20 years. Um, it's it's been it's been hard just because you know of the of the opening of the border it's the west is so aspirational that i think there is i think four or five million romanians living in the west and it's either you know the the, the most you know aspirational intelligent people moving to the west or it's people who are very poor and don't have any other options kind of the middle class that's remained here but that's kind of thinning out as well because 
um, our government tends to be kind of kleptocratic, so oh. they just crank up the <laughs> crank up the the taxes on the middle class, and the middle class says, "Okay, you know, we're we're out of here." It's kind of a kind of a California style situation where there's oh, a, no. a bit of an exodus of the middle class. So yeah, yeah. Well, there's, what drew you back then? Are you there? You're there now, I assume. Yeah, I am. I am in Romania. I'm in my little hometown, uh, very close huh. to the border with Hungary. Um, yeah, I mean, what drew me back is just wanting a bit of the quiet life. You know, I've I've lived in London for five years. Uh, that's where I met my husband, and now we can both work remotely. Hopefully, oh, I'll get canceled so I go. can work remotely for longer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and um, yeah, we just wanted to live in a in a small place, and this is quite a quite a nice place. It's really it's like there's no crime, um, and it's not just that we came towards Romania. We also left London because London was becoming a little bit edgy to say the least it was How a bit so? like don't go out after dark and i'm not oh. saying this applies to every every region in london but there are there are certain yeah. you know pockets especially in, in east london where i used to live um because it's very close to the city of london where everyone works in general either if you're in tech or finance everyone works there so the kind of the residential areas and the cool areas are kind of east london so east london is it's a bit terrifying and there's so much knife crime and like, you know, gangland murders. And we were just like, okay, might be time to, you know, to, to get a move on to somewhere. Yeah. So I bring, I bring up like the Romania thing because one of the signature kind of uh, perceptions of modernity is bound up in women's liberation. And I guess part of your thread and what I found fascinating about it is that you're pushing against that idyllic liberation, which uh, you say even, this is this is a great line, women are amazing, they, literally, they are literally nature itself, but they are not great in the role of mangled men. There's there's this uh, kind of when when egalitarian sweeps through, man somehow became the standard. The professional man became the standard without really questioning or investigating. Like, well, what is he? You know, and does a woman fit in that shape? Uh, or fulfill that? Find fulfillment in that? Or can she even fill that out herself? Yeah. What was the background of that? It's, um, I mean, I've, I've really gone into a little bit of the, the, the criticism of, of liberalism itself. You know, liberalism, okay. I, I mean, not necessarily leftism in the way it's kind of decayed into, into the form that we see right now. But yes. it's this idea that um, to liberate the individual, you need to kind of detach. You know, you kind of have to reach that state of nature where, you know, you don't have any uh, attachments to, to your you don't have any attachments to your location, no religion, you know, kind of like John Lennon's Imagine, but, you know, that's essentially yeah. the, the core individual. Um, huh. And I think, you know, this this is this has kind of been created by a bit of a pincher movement between uh, market liberalism, which is essentially the conservatives in America, which is essentially they're liberals and with maybe 1950s social values, but they just want, you know, a free market. And then you have kind of this progressive liberalism, which liberates the the, the body of the individual where hmm. you're just like okay you don't have any attachment to your sex you don't have any attachment to you know the constraints you don't have mean plexes like the patriarchy constraining you physically um yeah. so essentially this this complete liberation of the individual i think is 
is a bit unnatural for the individual because we're essentially, you know, we're this this group primate, and we've we're we're adapted to be social, to live in a certain harmony with nature, with each other. And I know it sounds like a very trad view, but hmm. it it seems to me every time I've strayed away from kind of this this these ties to nature, uh, something you know. I didn't feel good. That's this the short of short of it. It's there's something that's that's a bit that's a bit off. And I know this isn't like very scientific and I I'm, I can't give you a source for this. Uh, yeah. but essentially that's that's kind of my feeling. I feel like you know being embedded in a, in a culture, in a region, in a in a clan, in a family, there's something to it. And there's something in in hanging out with women. There's something in you know having a certain relationship with men. There's something all of these things, you know, all of these heuristics, you know, like you see in religion, you see in certain traditions, you know, you see kind of in the patriarchy. These were kind of ways of living that kind of emerged through iterations. This is kind of like a very Jordan Peterson-y thought, but it's, yeah. you know, you, you come to these conclusions for a certain reason. And my reason was that I saw this, you know, Chesterton's fence everywhere. And when I was younger, I wanted to tear it down because I didn't know what it was for. But now I kind of start intuiting what it's for and i think okay. there, there, there are many things that are kind of like that and the closer i get to more like trad stuff the, the better i feel so to me that's, that's huh, the proof okay. is in the pudding yeah very intuitive uh, knowledge uh, basis then which is kind of traditional in a way i've been i've been investigating the uh the progressive movement, the social justice movement, the postmodern movement, and in the critiques that I've uh, you know unearthed from thinkers that I've interviewed, they generally try to argue for a return back to liberalism in a way. And it seems like with your point of view, just kind of trying to incorporate and thinking out loud through your point of view, it's almost like what postmodernism and social justice activism and that whole nest of critical theory is trying to do subconsciously is return us back to a group uh, dynamic, return us back into an embeddedness within some sort of collective. But it does it in such a liberal, abstracted way that what we end up, what ends up resulting from it is kind of just blind mob behavior or just the reduction of the individual into a body. It, it seems like that's a maladaptive. Maladaptive. Uh, do, do you see where I'm trying to build that audience? Yeah. Maladaptive I, return to tradition. I think there's just a certain like collectivist bent to, to to social justice, and I think it's mostly in kind of their resistance to what they see as as the atomization of market liberalism, of the kind of the conservative end of what I see as liberalism, because what market liberalism does is is kind of it has to transform you into a consumer. You know, because that—that's what the market does best, and it's—it's it's a miraculous force. It's—it's it's an incredible thing. I, I used to be a libertarian. You know, you worship the market because it works, and mm -hmm. you—if you're from Eastern Europe, you kind of have to go for libertarianism because you've been worshiping the market anyway. Because that's the West, and it's a shining beacon of oh, amazingness. Yeah. So, um, I think what the social justice warrior tends to tend to react against is—is is this, you know, is this felt atomization? But they don't know how to how to you know how to react against it. Because it's there, it's that loneliness, that you know, that enemy, that that resistance to to what's everything that's happening. But you know, like I, I used to be a feminist. I actually studied gender studies. That was my my background. Oh. And you okay. know, it's, it's kind of like that. You know, feminism kind of feels you out and sees, oh, you know, you're having a bad time. You know, here's this theory, where where in you're the center of the universe and you're uniquely oppressed. So 
we're going to give you the tools to understand that your problems, your human suffering, your normal condition as a human being is easily solved with this one great solution. And you get the set of Jinsu kitchen knives as well at the end of it. <laughs> so it's, it's um, you know, these are all kind of solutions to to a problem. And I think, you know, social justice warriors see, see the solution in Marxism. They see it in, in this liberation from the body into the body where you know they mm. this this identification with base desires you know like this all it's it's fat phobia not to be able to eat whatever you want yeah. or it's and all you know, the different sexualities exactly and yeah. what i would argue for more would be a, a bit of a sort of a return to virtue ethics like in the, okay. in the aristotelian sense um but also kind of integrate what we've learned in the meantime because it, it is yeah. a bit you know it's it's I, I, I'm not trad in the sense I want to go back to the past. It's absolutely impossible to, to go back to the past. Uh, but having an understanding of ourselves as part of nature and understanding that the real freedom is to make yourself free, to, you know, what, what the purpose of the liberal arts was in the, in the past was essentially to, to give you um, a framework in which to embed yourself, to understand, okay, to, to kind of master your, your basis desires, to kind of be a, become a master of your own nature without, you know, falling into it. Because there's two conceptions of freedom. There's the, the freedom to, you know, just, you know, eat whatever you want, sleep with whoever you want, you know, kind of a social justice, pink hair conception of freedom where you, you're free to be, to indulge, to just, you know, let it all hang out because that's freedom. And then there's kind of this, you know, old school kind of trad version of freedom where you make yourself free. You know, you 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 cultivate virtue, and through the virtue, you're free. Like you know, discipline equals freedom. Type you know, Jocko Willing type stuff. Where you know, by by cultivating yourself, that's where the freedom begins. You know, you kind of have to have mm. a certain level of self mastery before you can you know unleash your powers. Because you can't write a book, you can't raise a family, you can't do anything that's involves long term thinking, if you're a slave to your basis desires. If you're only a consumer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you expand a little bit more on virtue ethics that pops up here and there? I'd like to hear your conception of that. Like, what is the what are the foundational principles of that? Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm not definitely not a scholar in it, but my my percep- my conception of it um, is essentially, you know, essentially this this cultivation of freedom for oneself by cultivating virtue. It's it's kind of in the line of stoicism as well. It's the idea that. Um, you need to master yourself first. It's very Jordan Peterson. It's essentially okay. Jordan Peterson. Okay. <laughs> that's, well, that's then, it. what could you articulate the virtue? What is that virtue then? I, I, I guess uh, independence, as as opposed to just this atomized individual. Uh, um, essentially, or... it's kind of cultivating strength. It's cultivating even just physical health. It's cultivating. It's essentially building yourself to be a stronger individual, to be able to participate in okay. the things that actually give you meaning. In you know, in in pro-social things, in in family, in community, and in, in all these like very again Petersonian concentric circles of influence. You know, you need to really mm-hmm. consolidate your base. And essentially, virtue ethics is the it's kind of the tool. It's the lever to to pull to to, to consolidate yourself, family. In all these these circles, mm-hmm. when you bring up trad, I can kind of 
feel the edges of a critique or a fear from the uh, far left or the progressive left of kind of tying that into a reactionary. I mean, the the the, the obvious, really stupid place to take that is some sort of uh, Nazism or some some form of uh, uh, fatherland uh, supremacy uh, based on genetics. You know, there's that conception. How do you avoid uh, becoming regressive in uh, kind of renovating that tradition, uh, that the traditional house of, uh, you know, all those concentric circles. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky, it's, it's definitely a minefield nowadays because, you know, Nazi, Nazi doesn't just mean national socialist as a historical movement in Germany in the 1940s. It is essentially a synonym for Satan. So it's, it's a bit hard to, to, that, that's what I think, at least in terms of, you know, semiotics, it's like, you know, that's what people use now instead of, you know, Beelzebub. It's, yeah. it's the devil, you know, you're literally Hitler. It's it's a very yeah. loaded ideology and people kind of, you know, swing it around. And there, there are a lot of things. And, you know, it's I feel it's kind of like that whole thing where, you know, Hitler was a vegetarian. It's there's a lot of, you know, things in, in traditionalism that were co-opted in Nazism and in fascism and all sorts of, you know, dark things um, that are no less true just because they were associated with the movement. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think this has to be necessarily national. I think. You know, all of this is is kind of in the individual, but in the individual as as a as a natural being embedded in 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 family in in these communities, and it's not exclusionary. It's 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 kind of inclusionary by the by the fact that you know we, it's it's a kind of movement that it's you know I'm the fact that I'm practicing virtue ethics doesn't doesn't exclude you from practicing it, and you can you know mm-hmm. hang out with me or anything. I'm not essentially doing anything against anyone else. This is more of a personal philosophy uh, and a kind of a return to, to I don't know. I mean, I'm saying all of this, but I'm still I'm definitely not practicing it as much as I would. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, <laughs> this, is, this is all aspirational. But but I see, yeah. I kind of see the mountain. I know where I have to go, uh, at least, you know, for myself. And I feel like there's, there's some value in this. Mm-hmm. Did you... Um, I, I lost my my spot for just a moment there was a question about um oh the reaction to jordan peterson very negative he came up on twitter again i think it was last week he was trending and you go over to the place where it's collecting all that trending and there's so much hate for this man and there's so much fear it seems for what he was proposing which is very simple if you approach it honestly like okay basically clean your room which people would bag on like that's so obvious right but there was there was this really primordial reflexive reactionary reaction to him from the liberal from the the far left uh, because it, it it seems like they're projecting onto him some form of traditionalism that could slip into the alt-right or the far right even though he's against that too do you have any conceptions of why people are so reactive to what is pretty vanilla advice that he was offering yeah, I think the the idea that the individual, you know, individual responsibility and, and kind of this building yourself sense has anything to do with life outcomes is kind of, 
you know, it's 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 a bit of an opposite to what the the left stands for now, where you know everything has to be systemic. You know, there's oppression. You know, whatever happens to you happens because either you got you no, know, your handouts weren't high enough, or you you were oppressed by a certain a certain different class. So um, if you have a, a a life outcome that is negative, and someone comes in, you know, like a dad, you know, because there's I'm sure there's a lot of repressed anger towards that and in certain mm. parts of this community um, mm. and says, oh, you know, if you cleaned your room, maybe, you know, there would be less cockroaches. They, they don't really like to, to hear that because they, you know, the, the, the whole system is about, oh, the cockroaches are there because, you know, I'm I'm under the boot of the man. Uh, and, you know, if, if someone actually gives you functional advice, you know, it's like, you know, maybe you lose some weight or something like that. That's not mm. something that's acceptable because, you know, if you're either hormonal or it's the patriarchy or you should just love me even whatever whatever shape I'm in, you know, it's it's, it's always a systemic explanation, never a, a personal responsibility or explanation. Okay, yeah. It, but at the same time, uh, aspect of feminism to the liberal aspect of uh, feminism, that aspirational aspect of escaping the form that is put upon woman, uh, escaping that uh, the chains and the shackles of you know being forced into a battery of stereotypes, and then you know removed from certain uh, abilities to make money and to be part of the marketplace. How do you go through the last century of liberation and then kind of start to? Re- Reformulate. Well, what what are we missing? What is it about the the mother and the father that aren't completely subjected uh, to one another in some way or another? How do we go back to a positive conception of of the patriarchy and the matriarchy? Have you been tooling around with that? What are some of your ideas? Yeah, I think just just understanding that you know there there are differences and there are you know. Okay. They're, they're, they they exist in in the average. They exist even more at, at the extremes. You know, there 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 are differences between men and women, and we we just need to integrate that knowledge. I think that knowledge is completely missing. It's been, you know, suppressed, repressed in society just to make this egalitarian idea work. Because um, I think it's it's also ties into the fact that the market is you know, supreme. I'm definitely I'm not a Marxist, but. You know, yeah, okay. I, I, you kind of have to see it from this lens where you know we're all workers on some level. This is the purpose of your life. You know, if I go to a party, no one asks me. You know, the first thing they kind of want to hear from me is what I do for a living. Uh, it's, it's a very big part of our identity. I don't think it was the case. You know, 100, 200 years ago, jobs. You know, there was work, uh, but there wasn't. There weren't careers in, in the strict sense that that we have them now. I'm going to have to push back on you because, at least, like in traditional times, your last name was your your job. You know, you're the Smith or the Miller, so it was a part of your identity. But it was actually tying you back into your your history. So there is. That is always, I think that that has been a large uh, part of, you know, how you are recognized socially by uh, by taking into account course, what you do. Right? By, by your function. But I think, you know, the, the difference between like a digital marketing manager and someone who is, you know, a miller uh, and their their relevance in, in the in the community context and their value for their their next, you know, for the close you know, everyone knows what you do. Everyone knows what what the value is. Um, there, there's it's it's just a, a different thing. Um, okay. And women, you know, the last name was was probably even for women that was their occupation because they would be the wife and they would handle you know the jobs around the house. Um, but you know, it's it was um, it wasn't it wasn't market oriented. It was kind of utility oriented. You know, it was okay. community oriented. I would say it was kind of okay. like a, 
almost like a barter system in small communities where you, everyone knew who you were. There were kind of like informal norms that you had to respect. And it was really annoying as well. And I think that's why people wanted, wanted away from it because the market gives you that. It liberates you from these annoying local, you know, having to say hello to your neighbors and stuff. But uh, at the same time, it's also a constraint to not have to do these things. Because it's kind of like not going, not working out. It's kind of like eating unhealthy food. It it deteriorates your your social being not to have to deal with people. Um, and the market gives you that. You know, the internet gives you that. You don't have to deal with people. You can only see people you you're interested in. Like my Twitter feed. I agree mm-hmm. with everyone. Coincidentally, yeah. so it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 an unhealthy thing. But you know, the market allows you to liberate yourself from from these constraints, which are kind of constraints. But they're also they're also kind of healthy, you know. They they, they build you. They they kind of construct you as a, as a human. Mm-hmm. So, how do we yeah. get back to that then? The, um, I guess you're. It doesn't sound like you're proposing to get rid of the market, but you're asking that we adapt to it a little bit further, or maybe uh, kind of constellate yeah. it in a certain level, keep it from becoming a golden calf. Just kind of. Yeah, I think you know. Priorities, priorities, and and kind of get gaining an understanding that you know, the market is a miracle. You know, I'd be the first one to admit it, um, but it's it's not a god. It's not you. You can't. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not a. You can't let it become your false false idol. Um, and especially for women, like a, you know, careers are are fun. They're they're great. But you know, I know a lot of women with bullshit jobs that they kind of don't like doing but they have to go there and they they're also kind of constrained to say that they really like these jobs and i know they don't because you know after mm. work we go for a beer and they're bitching all day about these jobs <laughs> so it's like oh what are you in oh i'm a finance director for a startup and like do you like it oh i love it but <laughs> you know just give her two drinks and she's just telling you how how much she doesn't love it so you know there's mm. there's a certain appearance one must maintain to okay. be part of the the rat race yeah you say in your in that sentence that I really love that women are is literally nature itself. Could you? That's really poetic and very symbolic. Could you expand on that a little bit? What do you mean by that? Um, yeah, it's it's kind of you know it's it's nature itself, kind of uh, almost like in a in a Werner Herzog movie. It's 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 beautiful and cruel at the same time. You know, okay. I feel like you know women are kind of this. Um, they're kind of the judge. They're they're this this choosing principle where, you know, mm. this you know a lot of people, especially in this, this manosphere, compare, uh, complain about hypergamy, like the fact that women are choosy and they only choose the most high status men and the men with the most money and stuff like that. That is nature itself. You know, this this instinct is essentially something that's emerged within women to mm. yeah to pick out the best men <laughs> and and it's, it's it's shitty it really is shitty it's it's a raw deal for a lot of guys who are not you know who are not up to stuff but it's it's you know it's pulled evolution for a long time and you know you might say this sounds like the 1940s but it's it's just a it's just a fact that you know this this tendency to go for for high status is something that's baked into our species and you know it has certain consequences but it also makes men better you know they want to rise up to the challenge they want to be the one that's chosen they want to be the ones who make beautiful products useful things you know sell them for money you know they they innovate they make roads bridges all this stuff that you know the water runs in the tap there's indoor plumbing you know if we didn't have hypergamy i would be very surprised if all of these things would would happen Hmm. yeah it uh that causes so it kind of that goes back to that 
toxic masculinity, red pill kind of conception from a certain point of view. It's that the men are kind of actually reckoning with what is driving them to achieve, which is, you know, the attainment of a woman. Now, you could look at the man's uh, objectification of the woman as his savior or his property and deconstruct that and stuff. But if you look at the operative principle of how it causes the man to, you know, start to get his crap together in order to put on appearances, uh, then it kind of, uh, it kind of evens out, even though it's not imbalanced. And it, it can't be anything that's perfectly balanced isn't is static, and it's not a dynamic system. So there needs to be some sort of imbalance for this dynamism to occur. How do you, um, as a woman, uh, accept or reject that, uh, you know, that, that perception of men of objectifying you or, or treating you as something that they want? Like, uh, did you feel that like growing up? And then how do you how do you come into a mature uh, stance towards that? Um, yeah. The male gaze and uh, the male gaze, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's very contentious. Very contentious. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, you, you could call it objectification, but you could also call it worship you know we are yeah. the golden calf up to a point um and essentially we know we, we we women objectify men as well you know they're they're status objects for us you know they're mm. they're resource providers on a certain level you know this whole hypergamy thing is all about that and i think mm. we we use each other in a in a sad okay. way you know back to the Werner herzog level so is it sad then what why do you say it's sad it is what it is. It, it is sad okay. from a perspective. Like, for example, if you go into one of these forums and you're one of the unlucky men who doesn't really get to go on the on the ride, of, like the, the conceptual ride of, of being, you know, in a relationship and things like that, it is really sad because it's kind of like, you know, it's it's like watching a, a mama bird with its little nest and there is one baby bird that falls out of the nest and no one goes back to get it up. And that's nature and it's it is what it is. Okay. And... Yeah, it's it, it's sad in that sense. Okay, but I, I can see how it takes. Oh, let's go back to cuties. Um, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain level of attention that women get from men that that is uh, driven by sexuality, that is objectifying, and I understand critiques of that. Uh, but as a woman, and I can see how that can be uh, a cause for distress in the developing female to all of a sudden have to deal with that attention no longer just be in your own imagination like the the, uh, the waking up out of innocence can happen to females in a different way than it does to males because it, from fe it, it comes to females from males in the way that they start treating you differently and uh, you know perhaps even uh, abusing you uh, in, in different levels or disrespecting you in different levels. How do you foster a respect for uh, that female uh, where she is truly empowered rather than owning her sexuality and becoming that sexual thing, but also, uh, you know, uh, but also being aware that that's a, a part that needs to be integrated in your understanding of how men uh, value you? Mm rambly question i know yeah no worries <laughs> um i think you know growing up as a woman it's 
it is hard, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of the, the reverse of the of the you know growing up as a man is hard in different ways. So it's not just like a, a uniquely hard situation. Um, you know, you have power. At about 13 years old, you know you have power. You know you you wield it. Uh, it is a bit strange. You, you don't know what to do with it, uh, and it comes at you. And there there are some, certain men that are predatory, and they will use that against you. Um, the way society has managed this in the past was through patriarchy, which is, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, a dad that's going to, you know, lay the hammer down, but it's kind of like this this memeplex where, you know, you kind of have to protect young women. Um, you know, feminism says it's because they're property. I say because they are going to be preyed on, not by men who haven't been told not to rape, but by a small minority of men who, you know, either find this is a good <laughs> multiplication strategy for them, or it's just, you know, they're very aggressive and they can't really contain that. And that's, you know, that's any bell curve was going to have a fringe of people that's a bit yeah. out of there. So, um, and and protecting children and having norms for protecting children that are embedded in family is, is essential. Because if you have the law, you can have the law come in and then there's going to be a policeman coming and doing some documents and recording that there has been a rape and that's it. The law can't exert norms at that level. They, they can't, mm. you know, create that protection for a child if it's just, oh, you know, we've got laws for that. No, you need a little bit of social constraint. You need to know who your neighbors are. You need to keep an eye on your child. There's, there's all sorts of things that, you know, need to happen. And, mm -hmm. you know, slut shaming is as terrible as it is. It's kind of one of the mechanisms that people have used to not let young girls or girls who are now not mature enough go out in the world and maybe encounter these situations with men that they are not prepared to, to deal with. So, mm -hmm. you know, all of these things, obviously double-edged swords, it can go terribly wrong. It's like, you know, yeah. like in an honor culture like Islam, you can end up, you know, in a, in a pyre. So you don't want to go there, but, um, you know, there's kind of a, a balance. And I think it's part of it. You know, there needs to be some cultural constraints to, to manage this that are universal and that people respect. And you know, freeing yourself completely from that, I don't think is going to give people the freedom that they want. It's going to lead to a bit of a more anarchic state where, you know, their pred predators are either going to be left to roam, or we're going to have a huge state where every interaction is controlled. The you know, every everything is filtered. The police is on you, like, hmm. you know, sticking to you just to see if you're not a, a predator. So. You know, I'd prefer to have a little bit of patriarchy in my family rather than have this super state, you know, big brother looking at every text message mm. that I get so that my child is protected from predators. A little bit of patriarchy. That that's uh, that could be the title of this uh, conversation. Could you <laughs> could you define patriarchy for me? <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of the um, And why is it masculine? Of why is it masculine? It's actually not necessarily masculine. It, it is it is associated with with men, but I think mostly, usually in 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 the the old structure, it was older women who would be the enforcers of patriarchy with you know through yeah. uh, gossip, reputation destruction, things like that. They would kind of coordinate the the words that would go through the community. Um, I think the patriarch was kind of like the the figurehead. He's a poster boy for the whole thing. He's kind of like the <laughs> the dominant guy, but the women are pulling the strings. The hand in the that background. rocks the crane. Cradle, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So maybe it's, maybe it's a misnomer to call it patriarchy, but it's this idea that you know, women's sexuality has to be controlled up to a point by whoever in a local 
social context. Uh, because, you know, if women's sexuality is not controlled at a certain point, you've got cuties. And in cuties, you also have baked in the Islamic storyline, which is kind of mm. the opposite. It's the it's the brute force of patriarchy, which is seen yeah. as kind of the big boogeyman in cuties. Uh, and on the other hand, you have this, like, liberal twerking 11-year-olds where, you know, it's like none of none of these situations are good. And, okay. and I kind of see the value of the movie in that sense because it's kind of like a critique, but... It also feels like, you know, it's kind of like making a snuff movie to critique murder. Yeah. Mm. I yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I, I can't, I, I'm going to get, I, I can't even talk about it without getting in trouble uh, because I think that it's not for men. I think that in a certain respect, it could be uh, useful for females. I haven't watched it though, so I don't know how far they go, but I have seen enough clips to know that this is not something I want in my head. I don't, I don't want to see that. Um, but I was thinking about the, uh, what it's the reaction to it online, especially from women. And there, it, it's not just, there's not just one camp. There's a lot of different uh, takes on it, but there is a very strong re- reaction from you know traditionally uh, feminist women who the, the gender critical kind of uh, rad femme kind of bowers of uh, that that are kind of acting in a matriarchal way to protect those girls. But at the same time, it seems like their reaction is showing that women are vulnerable. There is something about that sexuality that needs to be protected uh, and sheltered and is kind of even private where you shouldn't have that story out there. You should not be depicting that story, at least in film, because to depict it is to is to make it public. And it's a very, very private thing. There's something very private about especially female sexuality that might not translate to a male coming of age story because the male isn't necessarily regarded as the object of desire, though um, there's that Desmond is amazing kind of drag kid thing, which is another uh, exploitation of a child's sexuality. But oddly enough, he's kind of uh, acting in a prototypically... uh, pornified female uh, drag queen way. So it's still uh, playing with that I am an object of desire um, thing. I don't know where I'm going with that, but it does, uh, the reaction to it does outline that there are some sort of values around the preciousness of the female and the inherent value of virginity even. Like if you can, but you can, you're you're no longer allowed to put a value on virginity because of the uh, liberation principle or like the double standard for females, but it does highlight that there's something special there that we want to protect, that we don't want, we, we don't want that innocence uh, commodified, I suppose. I don't yeah. have a question at the end of that. Yeah, no worries. It's a, it's, it's a, a sprawling subject. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, I think the, the reactions, oh, sorry, don't know my tech. Um, <laughs> I think it just hit, it hits the nerve, you know, and, and for me, as kind of coming from a, a bit of a more conservative perspective, to me, it was just like the Gillette commercial um, in the sense ah. that it was just a, a step too far. You know, it was just, you know, because we, we've kind of been boiling in this liberal soup for a while. We're kind of like the proverbial frog in the pot. And sometimes yes. they crank it up a little bit too high and it it gets a jolt because it's like. You know, we've been, you know, Desmond is amazing is one thing, dance moms and all sorts of things. And, you know, a lot of liberals yeah. come back and say, oh, you know, there's just, this is, you know, just why haven't you said anything about this? 
you know, particular little anecdote that I have. Um, but this one was just, you know, like twerking 11 year olds and like something that's so mainstream, like Netflix, you know, you let your kids on there. It's, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's a slap. It's like a big slap. And then that's, that's why the reaction was so, was so strong. Um, and I think it's, it's not necessarily wrong in itself. The movie, I think the movie is just, it's emergent. It's a next step. It's kind of like the intermediary forms and evolution. It's like, you know, is, you know, is a hare that different from a rabbit? Yeah, it's not that really, but it's, you know, they're, they're, they're intermediary forms of, of, you know, they've co-evolved there. It's just an inter, it's the next step, but the next Mm. step was just a fraction to, to hardcore. And people said, okay, no, 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 we can't have this. If you showed cuties in the 1960s, there'd be like, you know, they would burn cities down but you you know it wasn't hmm. you were you we were at that step back then you know we were kind of more socially conservative and in 2200 we're probably going to be like what's this you know hmm. lukewarm lukewarm show with the you know, twerking children i hope not but if we're on this trajectory that's kind of where we're going so well do you bit. think that it can <clears throat> do you think liberalism can constantly outdo itself without kind of running against some very core principles, very core virtues where the society can't progress anymore or decadence sets in, some sort of rot occurs? Will it always be pushing the line and uh, how do we draw back in the correct way uh, to not become reactionary and start burning down cities or yeah. introducing a bunch of speech laws? I think, you know, it's, I think it's the conquest second law of politics where, you know, if you don't have a, if you have a, an organization that's not explicitly conservative, it will drift okay. leftwards in time. And, you know, I think having principles, deciding what they are and sticking to them is the thing. It's, you know, it might be reactionary <laughs> right now, but I think, and okay. you can only do this at a local level. I'm not talking about, you know, like a implementation and saying, oh, you know, America's a Christian country, and okay. from now on we decide that this is what we do. You know, people yeah. need to, to step up their own virtue, and then that's going to trickle out in, in the community. There's no systemic way to, to sort this out. It's entropy. It's ideological entropy. That's that's what this type of liberalism is for me. You know, the, the liberalism to just be the, the most base you know, animal that you can imagine, you know, hmm. unconstrained, just, you know, let it all hang out. Um, it has consequences. You know, you wouldn't want to be neighbors with someone who lets it all hang out. And, you you know, you can't have a society with someone who's like that. So, yeah. So what is the conservative conserving in your point of view? What are uh, you conserving? The conservative. What a what a weird what a weird name, you know. To me, the the conservatives like the GOP is like I don't know. They're conserving the moral norms of maybe the 1950s, but e- even they are like pro gay marriage or and things like that. So it's not even that. They kind of have this Norman Rockwell aesthetic that they're they're into, and they essentially aren't conserving anything because they're pro you know complete market liberalization and just whatever you know rip out any substructure of uh, of community mm. by just saying okay you know if if you want to work if you want a good job you need to move if you want to have a good salary you need to you know leave home and study for 17 years in this you know farm for you and if you're not smart enough you know we'll just leave you behind and it's you know it's it's this kind of ruthlessness that the conservatives they're not really conserving anything by just you know saying oh you know we'd like you to wear a dress and make you know make a turkey for your husband but also we need you to work 10 hours a day and you know that's that's also why the conservatives have no um they they're not aspirational 
people vote against the liberals, they vote don't vote for conservatives. Like even even Trump is not like an aspirational candidate. He has no vision for the future. It's there's there's no nothing. There's no golden city in the at the on the horizon. It's hmm. it's just like oh you know we don't want to be like these guys because they're absolutely nuts. And and that's the only you know good case for conservatism. And it's not enough. You know you need to have something that's aspirational. But for okay. that you need to have principles. Which no one wants to have because they might be considered reactionary. So, <laughs> okay, so you're conserving principles, which goes back to virtues, which goes back, I guess, it, the to try to get to the the nugget of your wisdom, if you don't mind me, uh, you know, fishing for it, is that it's it's a recognition of you as a natural in your natural state of like this all these pulleys and levers of desires and hungers and uh, status hierarchies, all these different drives. But you, you somehow articulate those in a way where you become independent of the forces that drive you without denying them. You, you, uh, you know, discipline yourself in order to recognize them and put them in the right place, let's say, right? A, a, a healthy sexuality, a healthy diet, a healthy this, a healthy that, a healthy... Uh, uh, program and then from that from that starting point then you can start to understand how to become a master or uh, a participant uh, in, uh, with greater and larger systems and then through that can come a good healthy society but if it's coming from an authority down if it's coming from a conception of a collective then it's going to miss the individual is that is that um, am I kind of on the right ballpark yeah. or in the right ballpark I, know. I think you know I think you can you can impose this you know you can have like a Singapore model where you know you have this great telling you what to do and essentially you know Singapore kind of has this virtue ethics built into it it's it's pretty authoritarian I would prefer like a like a bottom-up system you know it might, might be the libertarian in me I don't really like people you know telling you what to do um, mm. but you know you could do this two ways but the preferred way I think is just you know to, to kind of cultivate yourself as a, as a strong individual you know cultivate your mind cultivate your body it sounds very hmm. Nietzschean but you know you need to make the best with what you have okay so I can we can uh, send people over to your blog is that where your major output is right now uh, yes um, I'm also set up a Substack, but it's a, it's a barren place so if people want to okay. sign up to that it's just my name Alex Kashuta at Substack.com okay what is Substack again? I've heard of it, but I don't think most people it's, have. It's kind of it's a, a it's a pretty kind of creator centric newsletter system that lets you monetize it. It's kind of like Patreon and the newsletter baked into each other. It's better than Mailchimp. That's all I can say. It's got a nice interface. You know, being in tech, I'm like, yeah, I kind of like this. <laughs> it's it's mm. a good product. Um, well, yeah, and on Twitter at. Kashuta, K-S-E-H-U-T-A. Oh, I think it's it's good. I don't know how to spell, which is a strange thing, because when you learn Romanian as a first language, you don't spell because it's a phonetic language. So oh. uh, I've never learned how to spell and <laughs> wouldn't yeah. do very well in English. Is English the second language or your primary secondary language, or is there um, a couple others in there? I'm Romanian German, so Romanian German are my primary languages, and then I've learned English just watching so much television. You could not believe it. <laughs> the cheapest babysitter. I remember when we were watching movies as kids, there was spelling bees in the movies. We just laugh our asses off thinking how stupid Americans are. 
Like, they can't even spell. What the hell? They have to have contests. <laughs> yeah, like, how, how easy could this get? <laughs> well, cool, Alex. Do you have any, uh, do you have an aphorism or, uh, like, a, your, your parting shot for the uh, internet who's tuning an in? An aphorism. An aphorism. Or a um, motto. Is there a family crest that you guys are? I wish there was. No, I'm You can always I'm make one. Peasant stock. I, we don't have mm. any crests. We don't have any mottos. You know, my uh, my grandparents were like persecuted by the communists. Nothing left. So we don't really know. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, just um, return to nature, my friends. <laughs> 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 just, you know, go out, uh, see a tree, you know, watch a bird. I really like bird watching. It's a very like octogenarian <laughs> habit, but it's, it's quite relaxing. You know, don't forget your communion to nature, make a friend, bake a cake, chill out. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night.